everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, an update on protecting Mauna Kea as the National Science Foundation moves to support the 30-meter telescope project on top of the sacred site, state violence and targeting indigenous elders, the militarization of Hawaii as more land is stolen from the indigenous people of Hawaii, and how the tourist industry is escalating COVID-19 rates throughout the Hawaiian nation. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the heart of the Hawaiian nation to cover several critical issues. First, protecting Mauna Kea and the implications for the National Science Foundation moving to support the $1.4 billion 30-meter telescope, a 20-story high project that will result in the desecration of Mauna Kea and cause irreparable harm to the land and the waters. We'll also get an update on forthcoming court cases of Hawaiian elders that were arrested in defending and protecting Mauna Kea, as well as the further militarization of the Hawaiian nation as more lands are stolen for military purposes and how the tourist industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic. Our guests for the hour is Liko Martin and Lulani Tili, both indigenous peoples from the Hawaiian nation. They are both longtime indigenous activists and for American Indian Airwaves listeners are familiar voices. Marcus Lopez, co-host of American Indian Airwaves and executive producer of the program, and myself had the honor and pleasure to speak with both of them regarding an update on Mauna Kea, the state violence of targeting elders, the militarization of Hawaii, and how the tourism industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Liko Martin and Lulani Tili giving us an update of what's happening at Ground Zero in protecting Mauna Kea in the heart of the Hawaiian nation. As everyone knows, the COVID-19 situation has shifted a lot of things in the protection of our lands. So when the pandemic started to really take off last year, the Kupuna made a decision to come down and five to seven people stayed up to watch the road and to make sure that everything was okay. So those folks have been up there recognizing safety precautions since that time. And they are still there 
there has been some threat by the state indicating a possible attempt to remove them. And so that is a great concern. There also are some threats coming from the, the indication of the National Science Foundation as a potential partner for TMT. Now, as a federal organization, if the National Science Foundation joins in this project to make up the deficit of about $1.4 billion, without which they cannot complete the project with or without our opposition, then because of their federal status, there would be a requirement to do Section 106 and other consultative processes, which would take some time. But it's not a good sign if they join on to this. At this point, we're really calling for everybody to simply recognize the rights of Indigenous people to say no to lands that we have had a relation to for thousands of years. So that is kind of where it's at with Mauna Kea right now. There have been some beautiful ceremonies and things like that um, in recent months. You know, everyone is being very cautious in terms of safety, especially of the elders. But, um, but many of these things still continue on. And this probably leads into Liko's court, which is coming up as one of the 38 kupuna who are arrested during the standoff in 2019. And um, those cases are still continuing, you know. And uh, some people who were on trial were found not guilty, but they're still considering, they're still continuing to persecute the others. So that is kind of where it's at. I should also mention that the Canary Islands found that TMT does not have the right to have a permit to build there due to their environmental and cultural concerns on La Palma. So because of that, there is a, um, an additional pressure for TMT to complete its operations on Mauna Kea because it does not currently have an alternative. And by the way, we absolutely support the Guanche people of the Canary Islands who were able to successfully fight off TMT as they should. You know, and um, at the same time, we are aware of the, the new level of pressure that TMT is going to be under to build the telescope on Mauna Kea and that we need to be prepared to meet that successfully as well. And I should note, too, that another thing that that situation shows is that the court system of Spain is more just to the indigenous peoples and to environmental concerns than the courts of the United States. So that's something to consider. And for our listeners, Section 106 refers to the National Environmental Policy Act of 1970, and Section 106 speaks to historical places and preservation and relationship to the environment. And Lilani, I was curious, in terms of the Spanish courts, what is the determinant for their decision? Is it the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples or simply environmental law or some other factor? So on that first, the Spanish court primarily ruled on 
the environmental concerns that were brought forward by a group called Ben Mugink. And that group is primarily comprised of indigenous Guanche environmentalists. So the concerns were environmental concerns, but because the indigenous population there is so widespread, you know, they are the, the vast majority of the population. So, you know, it's certainly those cultural sites and cultural aspects came into the decision, but it was an environmental law that ultimately um, they upheld. Now, as far as 106, as Section 106, Section 106 is, it's a federal rule that is administered under the uh, Historic Advisory Council, the, what is it, the National Advisory, the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation, right. And um, it has, it's a long process, it's a major undertaking, but I will say that it isn't historically a very fair one to Indigenous peoples. It does a lot of lip service, quite frankly, in terms of listening to the Indigenous voices, gathering input, but not necessarily actually following it. The mandate of Section 106 is consultative. So it is to talk to people. So basically what it means is that this would just be drawn out a whole lot longer, you know, without actually going anywhere. Um, so what we would like to do is we would like to convince the National Science Foundation and all the other partners that are involved in the TMT project to simply withdraw simply acknowledge that we are at a point where indigenous peoples need to be respected, period, and where our consent, not consultation, but consent is important. With the National Science Foundation's involvement, it, does that come from the Trump administration carrying over to the Biden administration, or is it the NSF's involvement um, coming out of only the Biden administration? And if so, what does that mean? Well, TMT has been courting the National Science Foundation for quite some time. They, I think it's safe to say that they've been in the background of this project for quite some time, but they have not come forward as a partner because any amount of involvement on their part would necessitate this higher level of process that TMT would need to complete. And they wanted to avoid that, so they tried to keep them out of the process for a long time. But now there is no other way for them to complete this because they have too large of a deficit. They, this, this project has doubled in cost since its projected beginnings. Does the NSF have any, um, any interlocking relationships, if you will, with some of the other actors such as the UC system, but other actors that are in support of the 30-meter telescope? And if so, what are those uh, interlocking relations and how does that influence the NSF's position? I would say that it's fair, it's fair to say that the National Science Foundation has a relationship with every aspect of the science community, um, every aspect of practically every partner that is involved in TMT because of the level of funding 
that they are involved in for astronomy as a whole. They definitely do have relationships. I don't know exactly, you know, what those are or details that I think are not the most important part of this. What is really important is that their involvement represents another level of complexity and it represents the idea that we as Indigenous peoples are still not being heard. Well, Lonnie, you mentioned the at Ground Zero certain activities happen since the beginning of the year. Tell us about the any constructions going on, any trucks within the area, and if so, what's the action of those vehicles, if any at all? Well, our Kia'i who are up there have done a pretty good job of looking out. Um, there have been some false alarms, and that's expected when you have people watching the road, you know. But we have not seen any confirmed attempts at construction. And they have made a commitment not to do construction. Now, whether we really trust them to uphold that commitment or whether they might try to slip in some activities that they might not necessarily call construction and so therefore might think that they're okay, um, we don't know those things. But there has been no attempt at actual construction. And within that area of the world, you talk about investment. I know the UC system, especially in California, has been instrumental and has been possibly a key to this whole dilemma or this attack on Mauna Kea. Why don't you explain to our listeners the relationship with the UC system and the issue of protecting of the sacred site? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I think that it starts with our relationships, you know, between, between us as indigenous peoples. You know, you of the Chumash and we, Kanaka Maoli, here in Hawaii, you know, we've been connected for thousands of years through our ocean voyaging and our stories, our mo'olelo. And some of those have involved Mauna Kea, which is the first thing you see if you're coming from far away in many cases. So I think that the connection really starts there. Now, in the colonial world of TMT, there's also a connection to, between Hawaii and California. And that would be between the University of Hawaii and all of the telescopes that it facilitates and the University of California and all of the science and money that it facilitates. And the University of California has been the major player in the 30-meter telescope project and as such has been very, very important. The chairman of the TMT board is Professor Henry Yang, who is the chancellor of UC Santa Barbara. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime indigenous activists from the Hawaiian Nation, Lalani Tili and Liko Martin. They are providing us an update on the struggle over Mauna Kea and the 30-meter telescope incarceration by the state targeting indigenous activists, further militarization of the Hawaiian nation, and how the tourist industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic. And now back to the interview. And if you meet 
Dr. Yang, he's a very nice person, but he's still pushing the 30-meter telescope forward on our land and has been very consistent in that. Dr. Michael Bolte of UC Santa Cruz is also a very major player in TMT. I think he's the assistant director of TMT, and he has been very, very instrumental in pushing TMT forward while being an environmentalist, um, a lovely photographer, and many other things, you know. And I think that it is important to remember that a lot of the human element of TMT is located at the University of California. And the University of California Board of Regents ultimately holds the decision-making power of whether the University of California continues to push forward this non-consensual telescope on our land and brutalize our people in order to push their scientific project forward so that they can fly over for, to work on the week at a nice little office in Hilo and then fly back to their office in California within, you know, a, a short amount of time, almost like a workation, and, um, you know, have a very dreamy life doing that with this great science that CMT is proposing. You know, that's basically what is desired by the astronomical community, you know, which does want to see this high level of technology manifest. But the University of California is very, very much a part of pushing that forward, along with the California Institute of Technology, where the, the president of TMT, the director of TMT, are all kind of located there, associated with Caltech. And so between the University of California and the California Institute of Technology, those are the, the main forces of the 30-meter telescope. Now, Lalani, there's been a lot of petitions in the past, and it's still I, I note that there are still petition on the website of Protect Mauna Kea. Anything going from there? Any new petitions? Any petitions into addressing the California Institution of Technology or Uses System? Anything new, or can people add? to their signatures, and is, how is that going, the petitions? Yes, actually, we do have um, the students of the University of California have put forth some work along those lines. And, and then within the petitions, obviously, they say, you, you, have you been saying about the, the situation, Mount Okea, they can go to their website. But yeah, one of the things is you mentioned, and briefly, about the Canary Islands and the court decisions and the glitching people to celebrate their victory. But you said it would be a harder battle uh, because of the fact that the stakes are higher. What do you mean by that? Well, the Canary Islands, La Canaria, were the backup site for TMT. So Mauna Kea was their primary dream site, and La Palma, in the Canary Islands was their um, plan B. So basically plan B has been shut down. So now there is more pressure for them to push forward in construction on Mauna Kea in Hawaii, which means that they are prepared to brutalize our people and non-consensually 
build this on our mountain. Now, Lola, you mentioned before that the monies and the time, the notion of the investments in, in the new investments, the notion of, of the time schedule they had come into conflict in relationship to the people putting up a fight, the Kanaka Mali people on the world opinion, putting up the fight against the TNT. Is that more come to a he- uh, headway in the sense of how time is passing by? Why don't, you, why don't you explain that to our listeners? Well, as time passes, several things happen. One thing is that they continue to spend more and more money because it, it costs them to keep going as time passes. You know, they've built a lot of the components of TMT despite the fact that we've made it very clear that we will not allow this to be built, period, on this mountain. And they've gone ahead with constructing those components anyway, and now those components are sitting there. That's not necessarily a good thing for fine scientific instruments, you know, and There's no end in sight. There's no beginning of construction in sight because they know that we will fight them. Now, Lalani, when you're talking about construction, why don't you explain to our listeners what do you mean by construction? Why don't you give us a flavor of what that means? I mean, the depth, the length, the amount of tonnage, the the design, the construction, all that. What is because construction is really a relative term. Why don't you explain that to our listeners? Okay, so the proposed site of TMT, and I should let Uncle Liko speak to this a little bit more because he has cultural knowledge of that site. But um, yes, the site is on the northern plateau of Mauna Kea. It is the place where you can see all of the Hawaiian islands, and you can see them in relation to the movement of the heavens which is how we measure time. So on, upon that northern plateau, you know, there's a microscopic ecosystem there that exists as well as many cultural sites due to its presence in what we call the Ring of Shrines. And the TMT basically would take up approximately two football fields worth of space that would be completely dug out and destroyed of that place. It goes two stories down and 18 stories up. So we're talking about in an absolutely unique habitat that is found nowhere else on the planet, they would dig two stories worth of rocks and everything else that's there out of the ground remove it, fill it with cement and toxic holding tanks, uh, I should say holding tanks of toxic materials and sewage, and then they would build 18 stories up. So if you can picture an 18-story building, it's a pretty big building. It counts as a skyscraper, you know, and in this case, it's very close to the actual sky to scrape, you know. So it's it's big. It's very very big, and that um, eighteen story building would be able 
would be seen on most, not not most, but a, a lot of the island as one looks to Mauna Kea, as many of our indigenous cultural practitioners do daily as part of their spiritual practice. Well, Lonnie, thank you very much for that explanation. It gives your listeners a little bit more of a scope about that. You were mentioning uh, Uncle uh, Liko as far as the cultural implications of that. Why don't you put them on the line and maybe you can explain that um, further amplification of what you mean by the desecration of a sacred site. Um, oh, hello, Marcus. Well, desecration means, you know, destroying something, a, a place where it's um, it's antiquated, it's been used, one of a place one of a kind in the world, Marcus. And um, what what the state of Hawaii being the you know, US subdivision politically, it is a, it shows the continuing pattern of the failure to recognize the Hawaiian islands, the Hawaiian people, their culture, their national origins, which come in this case with laws and treaties that were entered into with the United States. You know, so Mauna Kea is, and, and in my case, well, in my case, coming up scheduled to the 24th of September, it's going to be a close quarters combat. As far as I see it, being arrested up there was I went up there on a fishing expedition. I have a fish on the line, okay? The state is the fish, not not the Hawaiian people. And uh, so it's the time to draw the fish in close to the boat and and latch on. And, you know, grab the leader line, get the net ready, get the gaff ready, make sure you got a lot of cool ice because uh, the just the existence of the state of Hawaii as a political subdivision which owes its foundation to a fraudulent government put in place back on January 17th, 1893. Okay. Um, now, that's, that's saying a lot, but there's a lot going on. Okay. Now, Mauna Kea, I, I heard some comments earlier about Donald Trump. But what this got to do with Donald Trump? Donald Trump, in during his, his uh, I would say, his reign, he created what is now known as the Space Force. Now, the Space Force presence in the Hawaiian Islands is, has become very visible on the island of Oahu. You can no longer drive out to Kaena Point. There, it's all gated off. And the Space Force, what does that mean? How does that relate to the National Science Foundation? How does that relate to the Hawaiian Islands because of the treaty violation in 1893 removed the Hawaiian Islands as being in neutral territory? Okay. If you're talking about the destruction of, of sacred places, Evie, um, in addition to uh, the Ring of Shrines and the platforms that are there where you can visualize sitting up and looking into the crater of of Haleakala on Maui and seeing the islands going up, this is what you where where it will be constructed. 
in close proximity are some very ancient burials complexes, very large skeletal remains there, okay? And, you know, you just have, um, there's a multiple, it will de completely destroy the area, okay? Back down by the camp where, the, where we got uh, arrested at that time, um, I hear that they've totally lined the streets with no parking signs. I mean, you know, how far do you, would you go to just totally disregard the sanctity of such a powerful force as Mauna Kea is? Balancing, so, Rico, you know, Rico, yeah. Rico, on this, your court case, uh, amongst the other 37 or more kapunas, they restricted them from their right, their religious right, if you will, from practicing their traditional prayers and effort to go to Mauna Kea. Is that true? Well, what they're saying is uh, in the proceedings, the, you know, the contested case hearings and the process by which the permit, the so-called permit was issued, all of the cultural, you know, things, everyone coming with their stories of Mauna Kea, talking about the flora, the fauna, it was, a, it was an interesting story, I'm sure, to the judge, but it really didn't bear in, okay? Uh, and the obstruction charge that we are there for is obstructing, obstructing the uh, government operation, obstruction of their law, okay? So my position filed prior to going into the court, we've already filed... Um, identifying myself as a Hawaiian national, not a native Hawaiian as defined underneath the Hawaiian Homes Act of 1920, which is a hundred year, 101 years of a broken trust. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime indigenous activists from the Hawaiian Nation, Lalani Tili and Liko Martin. They are providing us an update on the struggle over Mauna Kea and the 30-meter telescope incarceration by the state targeting indigenous activists, further militarization of the Hawaiian nation, and how the tourist industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic. And now back to the interview. Under that identification as a native Hawaiian, and be very careful when you use that word because it, it places us uh, as wards, Basically, that we are incapable of managing our own resources, uh, many which are vested to us under Hawaiian law, recognized by international treaty with the United States under their constitution, okay, if you can follow me. Uh, so that's where, you know, that, that's the platform that I'm standing on. Uh, and so, you know, I hope that can offer you some uh, I got a trial coming up. I'm asking for an extension because we have a, a petition, a request for intervention and investigation that has recently gone off to the uh, Department of Justice, the State Department, and the Secretary of Interior. We have a situation here of unparalleled uh, corruption, 128 years of it. This presentation of uh, cites all of the facts and everything this is uh, this is where the battle 
some of the battle is going to be uh, fought. And, um, you know, the venue becomes Washington, D.C. treaties, just as it is for most of the indigenous peoples and the Native nations. And I hate to even, you know, I say my family's on Turtle Island, okay? And that's the whole island. So going forward, Marcus, um, you know, the last time I spoke to you was with reference to Arthur Manuel and the, the, the type of prophecy of the unification of the, the nations there. And since that conversation of a few days ago, and I'm very fixed on Arthur Manuel's um, prophecy in there, which you revealed to me that actually was his father's was saying these things. The process by which to predate the doctrine of discovery, okay, by what process, okay, and what came to me as I was power washing the driveway this morning was that Declaration of Independence as an example, okay, that sets the whole thing for the U.S. courts and everything. Of course, you know, someone just simply lied about the doctrine of discovery and nobody, and they just enforced it. So how, what process, what can you do is to align the peoples who inhabited the Americas completely because the whole doctrine of discovery and the 500 years of genocide from every, every you know, that identify it, survey it, group by group, region by region, and develop a document that is substantially um, gives the credibility of a unification process, okay, just like the Declaration of Independence, and lay it forth and present it and align all the countries. This is what was coming to me this morning as I was power washing. By what process can the prophecy be fulfilled? Okay. So as we rise, of course, after 500 years, you know, like you said, Marcus, we're about 200, we're you know, a little over 200 years into the 500 that, that have left the devastation there. And certainly the purification is in process, the fire of the Hopi prophecy. And uh, so, you know, as one goes down, the other comes up. You know, they say as the moon, moon uh, descends, the sun will rise. So, uh, you know, I just some some thoughts uh, going forward because connecting the dots, connecting our peoples, and most importantly, the Hawaiian people do not deserve to remain as wards of the United States. They do not deserve to be to be hidden from humanity because the treaty that was entered internationally with the United States was also a treaty that was entered with countries all around the world. And the Queen, in her 1897 uh, protest, official protest, about, uh, with respect to the rebels that are trying to uh, force an annexation, there never was an annexation. And, but the, the, the point being that uh, you got to have, that the facts are not on their side. Okay, and accountability time. So anyway, um, how, how we can work together I think we're doing it right now and sharing, trying to connect as we rise by watching the forest rise there. And miss you an awful lot. And um, 
and uh, you know can't quite get over the islands uh, one of the islands that's outside of your territories his name is limo in, in hawaiian language it talks about seaweed there must be some great seaweed out there oh yes it is and <laughs> yeah, Rico, i love your i i love your metaphor of of the canoe the tumult we call it when you call it the vaca or the wakas Mm-hmm. And the notion of this line in the on the line is not, you know, the the people, but it's the state apparatus, is the court system itself, and get closer and closer as you pull the line up, as you pull it up further and further. And it's so interesting that an analogy because just like what Art Manuel's father, George Manuel, and Michael Porcelain's the of the fourth the fourth world and engine reality during the 60s and 70s were a precursor of what we're talking about today is about the the Hawaiian nation is independent and it's not part of and has never been a part of the United States government even though the, the they say they are but your independence as an entity of a nation of the world comes to my mind within that why don't you explain to us and especially when you go in the court case you stated that um they're pushing hard in the elders and these court cases are in person now why would they why would they even do that under the the conditions of covid i want you tell the public here what's going with with on with the public and the Kanaki Maoli people and COVID for just for a second for us. Well, COVID's being basically uh, stuffed down our throats. Uh, you know, the, the the tourism industry coming in really just broke the hole in any kind of, um, you know, mechanisms that were being put in place to handle what was going on with the COVID and then be able to uh, deal with the the the, um, the mutants, I mean, you know, they're not looking like they're going to shut down Hawaii. It's forecast to be 4,000 cases a day by October here. On a per capita basis, uh, we're spiked. We're spiking. Uh, we're, a, we're not just a red light, but we're a red light flashing. And everyone knows it. It's, um, you know, I mean, this is what is happening with the COVID. Now, in the court case, I'm still waiting to hear from the attorney uh, because they're holding uh, court with actual people personally. They're not doing it um, uh, virtually, you know, which is unfortunate, which is, uh, you know, because of the potential exposure. So, um, of you know, of, of everyone there. So... Uh, we'll see what the court is going to do. Anyway, you just got to mask up and um, and show up, man, you know. And, and this is what I'm looking at it very favorably. I will enter things into the record, uh, uh, like the writ of prohibition that was filed in the courts here in Hawaii, Hawaiian Islands courts, not state of Hawaii courts, by the way. The courts that are running... In within the foundation of Hawaiian law, Hawaiian courts, yeah. Okay, the Hawaiian kingdom is very much alive. You know, looking forward to that. And no matter what happens, it will go into an appeal process. And, you know, as it, and, and like Arthur Manuel was saying, that's the swamp, right? 
<laughs> so eventually, you know, you can find a sandbar in the middle of the swamp. You get a little, you know, dry out a little bit, find your directions and head out across to get to the other side. And but not to be restricted by the judiciary because the executive branch and congressional branches have their own um, mechanisms by which accountability uh, and uh, their reckonings within their own to uphold their laws and uphold their oath. And that's basically where I'm going. Uh, like uh, Hank Ostrowski once said, worked with the Alaskans, he said, you know, you hold, them, hold their feet to the fire of their law. And I just got a comment the other day from someone who goes internationally, and they were having a difficult time finding you know, following where I was going. What was I doing? Was I legitimizing the, the state of Hawaii by even going there? But in the end, they said they read a little further into the, into the you know, didn't just glance at the cover, they read, and they realized that what part of this is holding the United States accountable by the laws, its own laws. And that's, will you know, and, and that's what the writ provides so so anyway, I'm lucky. I've still got a you know a fish on the line, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big fish, you know, and it's been uh, it's, it's been roving around well for for a long time. But really, um, the thing that rises out of my heart, which is most alarming, is the acceleration of Hawaii as to continuing to be the theater of war. Okay. The entire planet is threatened when, if, as Hawaii now, you have the Space Force. Where does peace, where can peace begin? Peace can begin here, truly. Uh, I mean, you know, when you cut off a supply line uh, where goods and, and, and can freely flow and you have commerce, international commerce, you have regulations, that are fair to all countries and all peoples within the Pacific, especially around the Pacific. If you dislodge that and interrupt that, um, look what has been created already. So going forward, why do we do this? Of course, our indigenous lifestyle, yeah, our culture, our various identities, but it could all go up in one flash, Marcus. And I've seen it one night uh, in the 70s, they had a nuclear explosion on Johnson Island, 800 miles away. And the whole sky was just like, you know, the X, you were in front of an X-ray machine. It won't take much, you know, it won't take much. The way. So I just really support the rising of all of the peoples of, uh, I call it Mokuhununui, which is from, you know, the bottom of South America all the way up to the polar region, the entire place. We have a net. We were all sewed together prior to discovery, the so-called discovery. We still have our lead line. In other words, we have our traditional boundaries and, and our floaters. We need to repair our net. Yeah? Some holes start with the small holes first and then work on the big ones. Sometimes it will take many hands to fix the net because of big holes in it. And when that net is set and that the people there have worked to accomplish that, then the doctrine of discovery will be outdated and it will be a time for a new age 
a new United Nations, a United Native Nations People Forum that can guide whatever is left from the catastrophe and the situation that we are now faced with. Okay. Nico, what do you want people that listen to your voice, and Lalani, too, you can chime in on this. What do you want people to do at this point? For me, just very quickly, is to count our blessings, Marcus. Count our blessings. You know, one by one, hand in hand, eye to eye, we are, are one humanity. And that's how we'll have to think, because that's how natural law works. So anyway, Lala. I think that it would be very helpful. First of all, I really urge people to start out with supporting the indigenous peoples of the lands that they are on. So that really, truly does help us, because if that becomes the standard, which it should, we won't be in situations like this. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime indigenous activists from the Hawaiian Nation, Lalani Tili and Liko Martin. They are providing us an update on the struggle over Mauna Kea and the 30-meter telescope incarceration by the state targeting indigenous activists, further militarization of the Hawaiian nation, and how the tourist industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic. And now back to the interview. So that's where it starts. It starts with supporting the indigenous peoples of whatever land you're on. As far as Mauna Kea goes, there is a lot that can be done. Every um, month, the University of California Board of Regents has a meeting and they consider testimony. So written testimony from anyone who feels so moved to tell them that it's really not okay to keep prosecuting and persecuting respected elders of our indigenous Kanaka Maoli people in order to build a telescope that will only benefit a few with great colonial privilege and that the respect of human rights and the respect of indigenous peoples is absolutely crucial and should be enacted throughout their system as opposed to this colonial behavior of non-consensually forcing a telescope project on a people who have made it 100% clear that we do not want it. Um, you know, letting them know that that is not okay would be very, very helpful. The University of California Board of Regents, uh, all you have to do is just just type in Google UC Board of Regents and their website will pop up. The email address for comment will pop up. You can send it in any time and it will go to all the regents. And um, they are a very good place for that uh, that comment there's also an opportunity to speak it's a little more challenging you know there's a there's a little more process to that because you need to sign up um as a speaker and you may or may not get in it's a little tougher but if anybody's up to it uh there certainly have been student organizers um and you can contact us too where you can uh go to the protect dot com website 
or to our Ho'oponopono Peace Project at eapono.org, E-A-P-O-N-O dot org, and get in touch with us, and we can, you know, encourage more. In listening to both of you um, share and inform us of, you know, all the various aspects of the struggle and in continuing the conversation about the TMT is I couldn't help but think about the non-human relations. And, and so I was wondering if maybe you could just briefly um, touch on that so listeners understand it's just not um, a human-centered struggle. It is very much about the two-legged, the four-legged, the air and the sea and the, and, and the land and the water. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things that is also happening that I should mention is that we have a number of small challenges that are going forward over the TMT's various permits. And one of them is the um, what they call the NPDES permit over the water discharge. And, you know, I'm a La'olapa'au person. I do herbal medicine and I was trained in the usage of the waters of Mauna Kea, which are very sacred and um, very important for certain types of healing. So we're very concerned about that water, which does affect all life forms. You know, it um, is not well understood by science, and its flow affects not only the top of the mountain, but by the nature of water, it connects with the base of the mountain, which, as anyone knows, um, goes all the way under the sea for miles and miles. Mauna Kea is the tallest mountain on Earth, and it goes all the way down to the deepest, deepest bottom of the ocean as a mountain. And um, our sea creatures are Kanaloa, whales, dolphins, all kinds of creatures that live there also depend on the waters that come from the top of Mauna Kea. That's part of their life and directly affects them. There are also endangered species all the way up and down the mountain. Almost every single species on Mauna Kea in the entire summit region and for a mile below it or more is rare, threatened, and or endangered. So it is very, very important that we protect those beings, the plants, the animals, the lichens, the, um, the birds, so many things that would be affected by massive construction. You know, they, they are projecting 10 years of construction. That means 10 years of trucks going up and down, hauling cement, driving piles, doing all kinds of extreme damage that would affect creatures and the whole ecosystem for miles and miles around. Um, you know, and we're very, very concerned about them and their well-being. It also would bring up people who honestly don't care enough about that habitat to stop this telescope. 
You know, I mean, I hate to say it because a lot of them consider themselves environmentalists, but I'm not sure how environmentally conscious you can really call yourself if you are building an 18-story building, I should say a 20-story building because it goes two stories down, a 20-story building in an extremely fragile ecosystem and native habitat that is rare, threatened, and endangered by its very nature. I think the one of the unique and sp- special, even those words in English is hard to articulate the uniqueness and the specialness, this, this, that's why what they use the word sacred, it's not just a word, but it's a way of life, a culture, a people. And that when you talk about the relationship, and that was a very important question Larry asked, because this is not just expressing maybe a protest or a political struggle, but this is a cultural, and this is what what you've been talking about and to our listeners, about the nature of the gravity of this important mountain. It's like it's the center of a culture of a people and of the animal, planet, insect life that we're trying to describe. And it's pretty hard to describe it in words. In, in ending, how would you like to say I'm- to the public that specialness about Manokea, if you will. That's not even maybe a fair question, but I'll, I'll point it to, to, to you. How do you want to express the specialness of this mountain, this gigantic tallest mountain in the world? I think that it's a perfectly fair question and that there's a pretty simple answer to it. As one of the places on this earth where heaven and earth connect most prominently, you know, this place in itself is a shrine. It's a shrine that is part of all of us as humanity, as well as very, very much a part of us as Kanaka Oivi, Kanaka Maoli people who have been very connected to this shrine for a long, long time. And in understanding the depth of that relationship between that sacred point and humanity's journey right now, I think it is really important to understand where humanity as a whole is in its quest for balance of nature and its own path. You know, it has to do with humanity's relationship to the earth. Will that be a destructive relationship from this point forward? Or will that be one of healing? We're at the point where it's going to be one or the other. And Mauna Kea is the point at which that whole struggle is coming together. So in order to restore the balance between humans and earth, it is important to respect the earth. And it is further important to respect the indigenous peoples who take care of that earth. Now, given not every single person of indigenous blood 
is a caretaker of the earth. You know, all of us have experienced a degree of separation due to the rampant colonialism that has taken place in our world. But in turning that around, many indigenous people who held strong to their culture, held strong to their relationship with their places, with their sacred places, with those important places that give life through healing waters, through important positions in the world, you know, all of those places where prayers are very strong. In respecting those indigenous peoples, we are able to restore that balance. The moment of silence is over. And that was longtime indigenous activists and cultural bearers, Lalani Tili and Aliko Martin, providing us an update over the struggle of Mauna Kea and the 30-meter telescope, the militarization of the Hawaiian nation, and how the tourist industry is escalating the COVID-19 pandemic within Hawaii. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. is over.